We're going to be continuing in our study on the life of Abraham, and we'll be picking up at chapter 13 this morning. I invite you to keep your Bibles open, and I'll be referring to the text as we go through the message. Let's pray as we begin. Father, we thank you again for this time that we have to come into your presence, both in worship and time to listen to your word. I thank you that you are a God who has revealed himself to us, a God who speaks still today. And you speak through your word and your Holy Spirit as people come and wait upon you and listen to your word. And so would you meet with us this morning, teach us, guide us as we look into your word, and help us to learn both from the example of Abraham this morning as well as from the things that will be shared here from the front. And help us to put into practice what you want to say to us today. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Choices are a normal part of life. Every day we make decisions concerning our time, our money, our work, our family. Choices about how we're going to spend the day or spend our time. Choices about things that we're going to buy or not buy or do or not do. And some of those decisions are major Uh, When I think about our students that we had up here recently that are graduating from high school, you know, they're facing some pretty major decisions in the next few years. It's not just a matter of whether or not I'm going to go to college or, you know, or stay and work or what am I going to do at this time, but they're thinking about their whole future. What am I going to do with my life? Am I going to marry? Who am I going to marry? What kind of a career am I going to pursue or work or employment? Where am I going to live? All of those kind of major decisions are made in those early years of life. And sometimes those decisions that we make each day may seem kind of minor, you know, like decisions about what am I going to eat for lunch today? Or am I going to exercise this week? Or maybe you even made that decision, you know, today, am I going to get up and go to church today? And obviously you are here and others are not. But even those decisions that may not seem as big at the time add up over time. And even those little decisions that might seem minor about our diet or exercise or involvement in a church are significant over the long run. All of those little decisions add up. And therefore it's important that we make wise decisions in life because the decisions we make today affect the person we will become tomorrow. Now, if you're looking for uh, the sermon in a sentence, if you will, that would be it. That the decisions we make today affect the person we will become tomorrow. And that's what I want you to think about this morning. How we spend our time, where we choose to live, who we spend time with, the person we marry, all of those kinds of things will have an impact on our life for good or for bad. F.W. Borham said, we make our decisions, and then our decisions turn around and make us. It's an interesting way to put it. We make our decisions, and then our decisions turn around and they make us. And we will see that in the text that we're going to be looking at today. This particular story, again, to put it in the context of Genesis and Abraham's life, is about the blessing. The promise that God had given to Abraham that if he would follow him, 
He would make of Abraham a great nation. He would make his name great. He would give them this land of promise. And he would bless him. And through Abraham, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. But there were things that were asked of Abraham too. To leave his country, his family, his father's household, and to go to the land that God would show him. And what we're going to see in chapter 13 is this promise again is there on the line and there's a tension. There's a tension that occurs in Abraham's relationship with his nephew Lot. And that tension affects this promise. And in this text, Abraham is going to propose a solution. It is a gracious offer and there is a choice that must be made. And we're going to see that as we read through it. Within the broad theme of the promise is this emphasis then on the choices we make, and that's what we're going to look at this morning. Let's take a look at verses 1 to 9. The Scripture says that, So Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev with his wife and everything he had, and Lot went with him. Abram had become very wealthy in livestock and in silver and gold. From the Negev he went from place to place until he came to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and Ai, where his tent had been earlier, and where he had first built an altar. There Abram called on the name of the Lord. Now Lot, who was moving about with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents. But the land could not support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. And quarreling arose between Abram's herdsmen and the herdsmen of Lot. The Canaanites and Perizzites were also living in the land at that time. So Abram said to Lot, Let's not have any quarreling between you and me, or between your herdsmen and mine, for we are brothers. Is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. We'll stop there. The choices we make can have long-term consequences. Abraham would return to Bethel after his time in Egypt. And if you were here last week, you know that in that time in Egypt, he got himself into a difficult situation because of his lying and deception. And God preserved his wife, Sarah, who had been taken by Pharaoh to be part of his harem, his household. And God had preserved her and restored her to Abraham. And so Abraham returns to Bethel where he first called on the name of the Lord. We see him going back to the place where he had had this significant encounter with God. And to his credit, after this near disaster in Egypt, he returns to the Lord. Now we would assume that in that turning to the Lord, there is also this repentance for his sin and a restoration in his relationship with God. It's the very same thing that needs to happen in our life when we have sinned or strayed from God. When we sin, we turn to God, we repent of our sin, and we are restored in our relationship with Him. And so whenever we become aware of our sin or something we have said or done that displeases the Lord, we are to turn back to God. And we find that God is merciful and forgiving. He is willing to receive us back again. But we also see a comment in this text that Abraham had become very wealthy. And this is the first time that wealth is mentioned in the Bible. And it is significant. 
It will be at the heart of the tension between Abraham and Lot. They both had now become very wealthy. God had blessed them and provided for them. But this wealth is going to be a source of tension. And what we see too is that there will be two very different attitudes toward wealth between Abraham and Lot. Lot had also become wealthy and the land could not support both of them while they were together. Their men were probably fighting over things like who gets to water their flocks first at the well or who gets the choice of the best pasture land for grazing for their livestock. It was kind of an early range war, if you will, like in the days of the Old West, and these herdsmen were quarreling among themselves. To give you an idea of the size, I mean, we really don't know how many people were traveling in this company, but in the next chapter, when Abraham will need to rescue his nephew Lot, he will have 318 men who are trained in fighting who are in his household. And so, you know, uh, 318 men trained for fighting along with their servants and those who would care for the flocks means that there was quite a large company that each of these men have that were traveling together. But here they are quarreling among themselves. And it was kind of embarrassing because this is a disagreement between brothers, if you will, between family members or believers. It's like a church fight in a small town where everybody in the town knows about it and it's rather embarrassing to see Christians not getting along with one another. And here were two brothers, members of the same family, quarreling among themselves about their possessions. And there's this note that the Canaanites and the Perizzites were also living in the land at that time. A note that there were outsiders, others, unbelievers, who were watching all of this happening. A decision needed to be made, and Abraham, the peacemaker, gave Lot a gracious offer. And we see that in verses 8 and 9. When he said, let's not have any quarreling between you and me, or between your herdsmen and mine, for we are brothers. Is not the whole land before you? And he gives to Lot this offer to choose whatever land you want. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. You get to make the first choice on picking the land that you want to live in. And it was a gracious offer for several reasons. I mean, Abraham was the older of the two. He was the uncle, and he could have made the choice first. Abraham was the one who had been given the promise from God of a land, a heritage, and a blessing. And Abraham was the one who had taken Lot along with him, and Lot had prospered because of Abraham. And so, by every account, Abraham could have made the first choice, and that would have been perfectly acceptable. Yet Abraham was willing to give up his rights for the sake of peace. It is a mark of his humility and trust in God that he was willing to give up his rights to bring peace in this situation. It reminds me of what Jesus says when he talks about how in settling our differences with one another that sometimes why not be wronged for the sake of bringing peace if that's what it takes to bring peace that we shouldn't always be a people who insist upon our rights, 
but are willing for the sake of others to give them their rights or their privilege. Abraham chose to walk by faith and he put the outcome in God's hands. Well, secondly, we see in this text that if we are to make wise decisions, then we need to value the spiritual over the material. Look at verses 10 to 13. Lot looked up and he saw that the whole plain of the Jordan was well watered like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt toward Zor. And this was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out toward the east. The two men parted company. Abram lived in the land of Canaan while Lot lived among the cities of the plain. And he pitched his tents near Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. Lot looked up and he saw that the whole plain of the Jordan again was this fertile, lush valley, well watered. It wasn't, it's not described exactly like it looks today. I mean, there are oases in the Jordan and there are areas along the Jordan that are fertile and lush and growing. But there are large parts of it, especially toward where Sodom and Gomorrah was located along the Dead Sea, that are just an arid wasteland. It seems that it was different in those days. That it was like Eden or like Egypt and the experience they had had along the Nile River. Now, I don't know about you, but when I make decisions, sometimes I use a pro con sheet where you list kind of the pros on the one side and the cons on the other. And I could see Lot, you know, standing there looking at these two options. Here's this fertile, lush plain. Here's the hill country in which they are standing where Bethel is. They were probably on the mountain of Burj Baton, which is near Bethel. It is a 3,000 foot high mountain that overlooks the Jordan River Valley. And he's probably thinking, let's see, you know, Fertile, lush plain versus hard, rocky soil. (laughs) Smooth roads for travel as opposed to these rough roads that we are on now. A river and an area that is well watered versus fighting over wells in this high uh, area in the uh, hill country of Israel. And he's thinking, you know, I'm no dummy. I mean, if Abraham's going to give me the first choice, well, then I'm going to choose what's best. And he looked toward the plain, and that's what he chose. Now, were there any cons at all that entered into his mind as he was thinking about, you know, the choice that he was about to make? Well, it was near Sodom, but that didn't seem to be a big deal to Lot. But it was a big deal. It was a significant choice that would affect Lot and his whole family in the years to come. And what we see in Genesis is this progression in Lot's life where he moved farther and farther away from the Lord. In Genesis 13.10, it says that he looked toward Sodom. And that expression there, to look toward Sodom, actually carries the idea of he looked with longing in his heart. He looked at this land and he coveted it. He wanted that area. And he looked with this desire in his heart, and so he chose to live in that part of the world. In Genesis 13:12, we see that he has now pitched his tents near Sodom. 
out of all the places along the Jordan River that he could have picked to live in, he chose to live near Sodom. This affluent city, it seems, or this city that was kind of maybe cosmopolitan, he was attracted to it and he chose to live there. In the next chapter, in Genesis 14:12, we are going to find that he is now living in Sodom. And finally, in Genesis 19:1, we see that Lot is sitting in the gate of Sodom. And to sit in the gate of a city means that you have now become one of its elders or leaders. It was the place where decisions were made or where disputes were brought and they would be brought to the leaders of the city. And so now Lot has come to that point in chapter 19 where he is one of the elders or leaders in the city. There is this progression that takes place in Genesis. Now, Peter tells us in 2 Peter 2, 7 and 8 that Lot was a righteous man. He was a believer. And he was grieved by the sin that he saw all around him. And yet apparently his family was not quite as grieved. When the warning would be given by the angels that came there, and the warning was given to Lot to flee that city, uh, his sons-in-laws, whom his daughters had married that were men from Sodom, did not want to leave. His wife, when she fled, would look back. And as you know, the story was turned into a pillar of salt. The city of Sodom was destroyed, and out of that situation and what would follow, Lot and his daughters would be involved in an ancestral relationship, and from their line would come the Moabites and the Ammonites, long-standing enemies of Israel. Here is this sad progression that takes place. Lot was a believer And yet even believers can make poor choices. It is a warning really to all of us to consider the types of decisions that we make with our life and the consequences of those decisions. What we see of Lot is that Lot chose selfishly. His focus was on the material and he prized possessions and earthly gain. He was really just following the way of the world that says, you know, I mean, you've got to look out for yourself. You've got to look out for number one because nobody else is going to do that. And you should just go for all you can get and try to get that and hang on to it as long as you can. But it's not what the Lord says. You know, Jesus comes and He knows our needs and He understands that. In the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew 6, 31, he said, So don't worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Jesus was talking about priorities there. I know that you need to eat. I know that you need shelter. You need a place to live. You need clothes for your body. And God knows that. But if you will seek Him first and seek His kingdom and His righteousness, He will provide for you. And what we see in Abraham, this man of faith who is growing in his trust in the Lord, is that on this occasion, Abraham chose selflessly. He trusted God. He held his wealth loosely, generously. The choices that we make 
can have long-term consequences. And we need to value the spiritual over the material. To look at things through God's eyes and to choose wisely. James Boyce was the pastor at 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia for many years. And he tells this story about a couple that was involved in this church. And two people were talking about them. This couple had been in their church for a number of years, but they never really got involved. I mean, they would come on Sunday morning, they were in attendance there, but there was never kind of that joining in the fellowship and building of relationships and being involved in service in the church. Instead, their interest was really more in things like money and friends, and it led them to associate many times with unbelievers more than believers. They were more interested, it seemed, in status and income and where they lived and what they looked like and all of those kind of things. Much of their income went to maintain their lifestyle. Additional funds went to the support of their daughters, whom they had placed in academically demanding but worldly schools. And understandably, in time, the daughters rejected Christianity, and that is what this man and woman were talking about. And they said, isn't it sad what happened to those girls? I mean, here's a family that at least professed to be Christian, came to church, you know, and kind of did the things that looked good, but their kids walked away from the Lord. And the woman replied, what do you expect when you pitch your tent near Sodom? It's the law of unintended consequences. There were choices made as a family without thought to the spiritual that really caused their family to drift away from the Lord. And sometimes, you know, that can happen without people really thinking about it. That's why we need to be very intentional in the choices that we make and think through the messages. What are we teaching our children? Are we helping them to grow in their relationship with Christ? And do they see that that's a priority in our life? One of the tensions that there is for parents today, and Gail and I went through this too, is, um, you know, there's a tension between sports and church and your relationship with God. And what's happened in our society increasingly has been that, you know, sports and tournaments, or if you have girls that are involved in dance and things like that, uh, the weekends have kind of been taken over by athletic things. If you're going to be on a traveling team or you're going to play soccer, you're going to play basketball or other sports like that, you know, it's, it's taking up more and more of the time and even Sunday mornings. And so we face that tension too. And I, I really did not like that at all when tournaments would be on Sunday morning. Sometimes some would wait to start till the afternoon, but a lot of them would be during that time. And we worked very hard as a family to say, you know what, if you're going to be involved in sports and this is something that you want to do, then we're going to make it a priority that we go to church. And we would look at that schedule and say, can we go to the first service or second service? Or is there a church in the area that we can uh, go to so that you can be in attendance there? Because we wanted to send a message to our kids that church is a priority. Your relationship with God is a priority. And so we want to work at that. And there were some times when there was a conflict and it wasn't going to work out where we said, I'm sorry, we're going to have to tell your coach that we're going to be late today. And this is why. 
there are choices that we make that send messages to our kids. What's the priority? I think about students who are graduating, going off to college. You know, and I want to encourage you, you have to take ownership of your faith at this point in your life. Once you leave home, you go to college, you are on your own. And my question to you would be, are you going to make your walk with God a priority? Will you seek out fellowship at the school that you are attending? Was that part of the radar screen of what you were looking at when you chose a school? Are there good campus ministries there? Or is there a church that you can find that you can worship at? Nobody's going to make you do that. You really need to do that on your own. And even if you are attending a Christian college, a Christian university, you need to seek that out because it won't happen automatically. You can go to the best schools, but unless you make that effort to seek the Lord and to put Him first, you're going to find yourself drifting away from God. The choices that we make have long-term consequences. And on the other side, I know of a family where Dad and his company had been promoted several times, but each of those promotions, even though they had resulted in more income, had meant that at times he was asked to do more travel or it meant that he would need to move and relocate to another part of the country. And finally, he came to the point where, you know, his family was involved in the community. They had found a good church. They were excited about what God was doing in their life. And they were happy with where they were living. And he came to the point where he said, you know what? If I am offered another promotion, I'm going to decline it for the sake of my family and for the connection that we have with the church. You know, he was looking at the spiritual over the material. He was making a choice in terms of what was most important and better for his family and their relationship with God than he was over simply material gain. Those choices have long-term consequences. And what we see in this text is that those who walk by faith receive God's blessing. And we see that example in Abraham here in verses 14 to 18. The Lord said to Abraham, after Lot had parted from him, Lift up your eyes from where you are and look north and south and east and west. All the land that you see I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go and walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I am giving it to you. So Abram moved his tents and went to live near the great trees of Mamre at Hebron, where he built an altar to the Lord. What we see here is the Lord says to Abraham, Lift up your eyes. You know, in the previous uh, part of the story, it's Abraham who's saying to Lot, you know, go ahead and look at the land and make your choice. And there's no indication that Lot asked the Lord what he should do. He simply looked with desire and he made that choice himself. But here we see God choosing for Abraham and giving him the blessing. And he is saying to Abraham, lift up your eyes. Abraham, take a look, north and south and east as west. As far as you can see, all of this land I will give to your offspring. And he uses this expression of how great a nation he will become when he says, uh, you know, I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth. 
I mean, if anyone can count the dust or the grains of sand, that's how many people are going to come from your line. Go and walk through the land that I am giving to you. God had called Abraham to leave his country, leave his household, leave his people, and now this separation had taken another step when he had parted company from Lot. After Abraham left Babylon or Ur of the Chaldeans in that region, the first blessing was given in chapter 12. And now when Abraham parts from Lot, this blessing is repeated once again to him. We see this tremendous contrast between Abraham and Lot. Where Abraham was generous, Lot was selfish. Where Abraham sought peace, Lot sought possessions. Where Abraham lived near Hebron, Lot lived near Sodom. One was in the land of promise, one is outside the land of promise. And where Abraham was blessed, Lot would lose everything, his family and his possessions. You can go to the next slide there. Now I want to give you a modern example of this as well. Many people have written books about the life of Billy Graham. You know, the great evangelist who's had such a significant ministry in our generation in our country and around the world. And a lot of people have asked the question, you know, why did God use Billy Graham as he did? Why was his life so blessed? Well, John Woodbridge wrote about Billy Graham, and he shared that there were four decisions in particular that stood out in his life. When I looked at these, I thought, you know what? These are really four choices that God wants each of us to make as well. First of all, as a teenager, Billy Graham received Jesus Christ as his Savior. It was at an evangelistic crusade, and Billy Graham would tell in a humorous way how you know he was wrestling with this, and uh, he was under conviction. And so the night that this Mordecai Am was preaching as an evangelist there, Billy Graham had volunteered to sing in the choir because he thought if he, if he was sitting behind the evangelist, you know, he wouldn't feel quite as much conviction. And wouldn't you know that night when the evangelist preached, he also turned around and he looked at the choir and pointed to them and said, if any of you need to be saved and make this commitment to Christ. And Billy Graham said it felt like he was talking right to me. And he asked Jesus to be a Savior. And secondly, as a student in college at Florida, he surrendered, his, he surrendered to the Lordship of Christ every area of his life. You know, and he again describes this conviction that was growing in his life. That he had asked Jesus to be his Savior, but there were certain areas of his life that he was holding back on. And he came to that point where he said to Jesus, he said, I have resolved that the Lord Jesus Christ shall have all of me. And he surrendered every area of his life to Christ. Thirdly, again in Florida, he felt God's call in his life to preach. And he wrestled with that decision as well, just like Moses wrestled with God. He argued with the Lord that he could not preach he couldn't learn to preach. He did not want to preach. And nobody would come to hear me preach. So why are you calling me to be a preacher? You know, and we uh, listen to that and it's kind of funny to think about where he ended up, but how he felt that struggle as a young man. I mean, Lord, why me? Nobody's going to come. I can't do this. He felt so inadequate. 
And yet he came to the point in his life where at last he cried out to God and he said, All right, Lord, if you want me, you've got me. Here I am. And he answered the call to preach. And then fourthly, in 1949, Billy Graham took his stand for the total authority and reliability of Scripture. He had been struggling in those early days of his ministry. In fact, he had done one crusade before that that was a total flop. Grady Wilson said it was one of those humbling moments in life where uh, it had not gone very well, and we usually don't hear about all of those failures, but he told that story. And Billy Graham came back to the California area, and he was wrestling with his own questions about the Bible. He had heard the criticism of others who did not believe in the authority of Scripture. They had raised doubts in his mind. And that day at Forest Home, he was walking alone with God, and the conviction broke through to his heart. And he knelt before God, and he said, God, I cannot prove certain things. I cannot answer some of the questions. But based upon what I do know in your word, I accept this book by faith as the Word of God. And he surrendered his life again to the authority of the Scripture, and he placed his confidence in God's true, holy, authoritative Word. It was one month later that the Los Angeles Crusade would begin that really would launch his ministry. Now let me ask you the question. Do you think those four decisions had any effect upon his life and his ministry? Absolutely. Absolutely. They were foundational to everything that he did. The answer is obvious. But I think about those four areas of life and I would ask the question, how about you, as well as I ask of myself? Have you asked Jesus to be your personal Savior? Have you settled that question first of all? And secondly, have you surrendered every area of your life to the Lordship of Christ? You know, sometimes people come and they want to place their trust in Christ as Savior, but they are still holding back, and it is a process of growth. And often we go through this kind of two-part conversion where once we may have accepted Christ as a child as our Savior, and that was genuine, we place our trust in Him. But as a young adult, God calls us to take this step of obedience and faith and to give Him every area of our life. Have you done that? And thirdly, have you answered God's call on your life? And you know that you are doing what God has asked you to do, regardless of your vocation. For Billy Graham, that was to be an evangelist, a preacher of God's Word. For me, it was a call to ministry. For you, it may be a call to business, a call to be a teacher, uh, work in the medical field, whatever it may be. Your role right now may be to be, uh, you know, the best dad you can be or the best mom that you can be. All of us have this calling on our life. And have we answered God's call and said, Lord, I will do this to the best of my ability for your glory. And fourthly, have you placed your life under the authority of God's Word? Do you believe that the Bible is God's authoritative, inerrant, and inspired Word? That you can trust it and that you can count on it and the Word of God has become your guide for life and practice in all that you do. Those four areas are so significant. 
They're the decisions that God wants all of us as believers in Christ to come to and to make where we would settle those issues in our heart and place our trust completely in Him. Those who do, God blesses and He uses far beyond what we could imagine. Let's pray. Father, as we come before You this morning, I pray that You would help us to be wise in the choices that we make, to settle in our heart the issues of salvation, of lordship, of calling, and of the authority of Your Word. I pray that we would look to You for wisdom in the choices that we make, and You know today what those may be. You know the things that we may be facing in our life personally today or in our work, or choices that we must make about business, about investments or decisions, or our spiritual life. And Father, I pray that You would help us to value the spiritual over the material, and the eternal over the temporal. Help us to seek You first in Your kingdom and Your righteousness and trust You to provide for us all that we will need. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.